This is Blind Like Me. Hello, everyone. Interviews, information, and reviews related to living with a vision disability. Your host is Tim Black. Tim has been visually impaired since birth. He's been in radio for 30 years and also hosts the podcast Inside Today's Country. Tim has never let his lack of vision stand in his way. Well, here we are with another edition of Blind Like Me. My name is Tim Black. Thanks very much for listening to our podcast wherever you find us. And make sure you hit the word subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast. We're continuing our series of finding people who have interesting stories. Some are totally blind. Some are visually impaired. And some are like our guest today, Sandy, who, I I like your last name, it's a chocolate bar, Tobler, uh, is uh, is you're you're blind, but you're not really blind. Is that kind of where I'm? Am I correct with that? You're kind of correct with that. Yes. Okay. I'm, I consider myself visually impaired. And okay. I absolutely hate the word impaired because I'm visually different sighted. Right. Okay. So explain what visually different sighted is. I I need help with certain things. Um, I carry magnifying glass everywhere I go. I um, have glasses on top of my head for reading. And um, I'm actually legally blind on the one side. On my left side, I don't. I see only shapes. And I actually have really good peripheral vision on my left side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have a lens in my eye. So I just see shapes on my left side which really helps me with driving because I, like you said, I still have a driver's license. I'm at the limit for driving right now. So hopefully it's going to stay status quo for a while yet that I can still do my job and still drive around. I drive according to my vision. So for example, if it's a, a muggy day outside or foggy or bad light or anything like that, I may opt not to drive because it's hard for other people to see and if you only have one eye and only 20, 40 to 60 vision, it sometimes is better to stay home and not drive, mm. right? So um, I've, all, I've learned a long time ago because I've had this all my life that driving according to my vision rather than according to what people said, well, you should pass this guy. Well, I can't see that far. I'm not sure if I should pass. I'm just not going to do it, right? So mm-hmm. to me, it's rather coming arriving safe than... Uh, we're getting into a head-on collision or do something really stupid where I lose my life and I'm not planning on doing that anytime soon. <laughs> right. Now let's let's go way back because you have a very interesting story about your vision and, and tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Um, the driving thing, uh, I, we're going to get more into that later on because that's kind of interesting. But let's, let's talk about your story. Tell me about your childhood because it was quite interesting. It was, I was about eight years old when I was doing homework on, on my kitchen table with my mom. And I told her a couple of days before that, that I thought my eyes were at the same size. Now, when you're eight years old, you don't really know how to verbalize what you meant by that. And she was looking at me as I'm doing some thinking about math. And she said, oh, your pupils aren't the same size. And they took me to an eye, eye doctor. They got that assessed. And they said, oh, yeah, there's something wrong. And I ended up... Uh, going to university hospital for about three weeks to figure out what was going on and they found that i had what is called uh, uh, juvenile uh, uh, uveitis which is an inflammatory part of the part between the retina and the outer part of the eye okay so it's a chronic inflammation of that because it was found so late in my left eye there was a whole bunch of scarring on my retina and had pretty much destroyed the vision in my left eye 
as an eight-year-old, you don't really know that you're only watching and only looking with one eye. So over the years, I've been bounced around from my specialist back to the hospital, try to figure out the cause. And there was all kinds of weird causes that they tried to. They were going to pull my teeth out. They were going to do this, that. Oh, wow. My, my parents weren't going to go for that, right? Right. <laughs> um, but, um, and it just kept going until... I was 18, and when I was 18, I had my first inflammatory um, episode in my right eye. And so at that point, they said, oh, great. Now we know really what it is. It is bilateral juvenile uveitis. No cure for that. So live with it, right? Mm -hmm. They handed me a Braille book and said, in about 10 years, you'll be blind. And I took that Braille book home, and I started studying it and learning it. And um, any sighted person can tell you that learning Braille when you can see what you're looking at is not smart. <laughs> but within within about two weeks, I started losing vision okay. in my good eye. Mm -hmm. So I went back to my eye doctor and said, something's wrong. And he said, yeah, your vision's starting to decrease. And I said, okay, I think it's because of that Braille book. I'm going to throw it out because I'm not going to learn Braille until I have to. I'm going to fight this all my life. I'm going to be fighting this disease and I'm not going to give in to it. And I haven't yet. <laughs> um, so when I, And then I moved to Canada in 1982. Mm -hmm. And in 1985, I had a severe inflammatory stage in both eyes. And my eye doctor in York at that time said, well, I'm going to put you in the hospital for a couple of days. And I said to him, I want to see a rheumatologist. And he said, why is that? And he said, why would you want to see a rheumatologist? And I said, well, because every time I work in the garden or every time I strenuously exercise, my knees swell up and a week later, my eyes inflame. He said, well, there's no connection with that. Well, I insisted. And it ended up that in mid-80s, we found out that I have an autoimmune disorder. Okay. So my system was actually attacking me from from really early childhood on it, it cost me about 15 percent of my hearing mm -hmm. because i had middle ear infections for years and then it cost me my left eye and i've been fighting for my right eye ever since mm -hmm. i've had juvenile arthritis in my larger joint all my life mm -hmm. and in 2000 it killed my thyroid wow and yeah so <laughs> So right now I have what is called an autoimmune disorder. So my immune system thinks I'm the enemy. It attacks me. Right. And it usually attacks the weakest spot in my body. And when I'm not careful and when I'm getting run down, my eyes are definitely one of the weaker spots. Right. Now let's talk a little bit about your eyes. Now, is there any, have you ever come across anybody else that has the same condition? There's one in 15,000 girls that have this condition. So it's very rare. I go for my specialist in Saskatoon because there's only two in Canada, one in Saskatoon, one in Toronto that really specialize in this condition. Mm -hmm. So I've been going to Saskatoon ever since 1988 and I go twice a year to Saskatoon to see two specialists, one the regular specialist and now I'm seeing a retina specialist because I want to make sure that the retina does not get destroyed in the process of getting inflammation. Right. Inflammation is treated with steroids, right? And steroids are really not so good for you. No, exactly. Right. Exactly. It's either being being uh, taking the steroids and taking the risks with that or 
being totally blind. And at this point, I'm not ready to be totally blind. So okay. so let's talk a little bit about now. I mean, as we started this conversation, you obviously have enough, as you say, you're right on the cusp of, of not or of being able to drive. You, you can drive mm-hmm. and do those things. But there's challenges that you still come across every day with, with other things. You say you've got glasses, you've got a magnifier. So what are the other some of the other challenges that this has now caused you over the years and how have you overcome them? Well, it's it's always caused me problems because in um, in the late 1990s, I was actually getting to the point where I was legally blind in the right side as well because of the cataracts that were caused by the steroids. And so I needed to get um, different programs for my computer to enlarge my screens. And um, I also had an overhead camera that I used. I'm, like I was a re- I was a paramedic manager, so I manage paramedic services. I uh, spend a lot of time managing people, working with people, and things like that. And I was never really blind enough to actually fit for a disability mm-hmm. because it was like only three months where I was uh, from the time I was diagnosed with legal blindness until I actually had the surgery right. to to correct the cataract. So um, during that time, I just was basically. Um, not able to do my function as a paramedic, but I could still work in my office as, as a paramedic manager. So never really um, was eligible for anything like that. So I've always had to fight my own way through this. And I think it's probably something that I was raised like by my, mm-hmm. my parents to mm-hmm. be self-sufficient, to be self-sustaining and not to be somebody's burden, right? So, I mean, I have absolutely no problem walking up to somebody at the skating rink and talking to them and then finding out 10 minutes into the conversation that I don't really know this person. <laughs> okay. Because I have four kids that played, uh, three kids that played hockey. And I used to go with, uh, with, with other parents to the hockey game. And I used to always stand with my girlfriend, who was one of my best friends. And she used to sit, say to me, Teddy has to puck. Teddy just scored so I could scream with the rest of them and pretend that I saw the puck going into the net because I can't, right? <laughs> so it's, um, but yeah, it's to me, it's when we talk about disabilities or anything like that and, and being visually impaired didn't really phase me to the point that I am not able to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I just... I just won't let it get me down. Like life is too short to sit there and say, well, I can't see this. I can't see that. So mm-hmm. I, I have also no problem in the store to ask someone, hey, can you help me? Show, can you show me how this works? How does that work? And what does that look like? And how much is this? Mm-hmm. Because prices are really big on the on the items when you <laughs> look for something, right? So You do have challenges when you go into the stores though, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially... Um, when I need to buy something, like say if I go to the pharmacy and I want to buy um, Advil or Tylenol or, you know, I need, I need right now with the, with the COVID, you're not allowed to touch stuff, right? So right. you can't take it in your hand and read the description on it. It's those kind of things, right? You mm-hmm. And I, I just walk around with a smile because I think I know everybody. So then if I do meet somebody that I know, they're not offended because I didn't recognize them. Right. Kind of one of my mechanisms. Um and now uh, in the store, like when, when you get to the till and, and how do you want to pay? I usually say, like, how much is it, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's a habit to not having to worry about squinting or pulling my glasses down to see the, the amount of the invoice. Or it's those are the kind of challenges. I have no problem asking for help and say, hey, can you help me with this? I need this, this, and this item. 
or whatever the case may be. Some people feel when they're visually impaired, they're embarrassed to, mm -hmm. they can't see. Yeah, a lot of people have a challenge of asking for help. Exactly. And it's, it's like, you know, like, a, I mean, I, I teach first aid. And when I teach a class, my first thing in the morning is like, you know what? I'm visually impaired. I can't see your faces. So if you sleep, please don't snore so you don't disturb the class. <laughs> make a joke of it because it's not it's it's not to me it's not a hindrance right mm -hmm. it's like that's who i am that's how i was made i mean i'd love to see 100 mm percent -hmm. right 2020 with both eyes and and see everything see my grandkids and and stuff like that and but that's just the way it is right mm -hmm. this is this is who i am and this is how i have to roll for the next 30 years you know life eventually as you say could change in the next while Absolutely. I have. I had way back when, when I first uh, was diagnosed, I had talked to CNIB and, and they, they kind of said, well, you know, here are the things that we sell for you to, so you can see better. But there really wasn't much for assistance in my professional life other than, you know, the, the enlarging machines or, mm -hmm. or buying the Zoom text program at that time, because there was no such computers with magnifiers. Nowadays, they all have magnifiers built right in. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time. I donate to them <laughs> because I figured eventually I'm going to need, I'm going to need the help. But I heard on your program, this one guy was talking about the, the, uh, the Jordi LaForge visor. Um, yes. I don't know what it's called, but Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking that might be something down the road that I would definitely be very interested in trying out and looking at. I'm also talking to my doctors and I said, like, if there's ever a chance that they can do an, an, an implant in an eye, we still have my left eye, you know, my optic nerve is still good in my left eye. We can play with that. And so far, nothing has really come about, but uh, research is always developing and there's always more and more stuff coming out and who knows, right? So, mm -hmm. Sandy, what do you do professionally now, by the way? I am a financial advisor. Okay. Um, which is really sometimes challenging too to try to see sixes and eights and things like that. So <laughs> And how do you get around with being a financial advisor? There's a lot of things that you have to look at. How are you how are you dealing with that? With a thirty two inch monitor. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely am not I'm not uh, I'm not to the point where I'm not allowing myself to to use the tools to my advantage. So for example, I'm doing tax returns too. And if you look at some of those tax slips, so those numbers sometimes are really, really small. My trick 47 is take a picture of it with my iPhone and zoom in right with my fingers onto that spot that I need to see. Right. And then delete the picture and I'm done with it. Right. Exactly. So again, using, using the resources with the technology we have nowadays compared to when I was young, mm -hmm. there's so much more available that we have that we never had before. And, uh, you know, good lighting, um, make sure that um, people laugh at me sometimes, you know, when I'm using my, just my laptop, which is just a 13 inch laptop. And people say like, you maybe need new glasses so you can see because my nose is right up against the screen sometimes if I need to see something. <laughs> the other thing is I learned is to memorize a lot of stuff. I right. went through four years, four years university without taking a stitch of notes. I was 12 years old when I first realized that I couldn't see well, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned by active listening to, and I'm really lucky that um, I have a fairly high intelligence level and I can comprehend a lot and I retain a lot. Mm -hmm. 
it's learning to retain this, the, the stuff that people tell you rather than relying on notes and, and written stuff. Because I used to take notes and I couldn't read them afterwards. I thought, well, what's the point of that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nowadays, it'd be so much easier. You could actually record a, le- a lecture or... Oh, yeah. Um, like, people laugh at me when I watch TV because I don't watch TV. I listen TV, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I, I watch a show and, and like, we have it AIM. We have that... that um, supported where they where they tell you that Sheldon Cooper's walking up the flight of stairs with Amy Farrah Fowler and I, I tried that a few times with with uh, but I can make enough out to watch the show without actually using the the AIM guidance right now right but instead of reading books I listen to audiobooks mm-hmm. I spend hours reading audiobooks because I love it when somebody reads a book to me and I can I can get lost in the book when somebody reads it doesn't it well, and especially if they're good readers, not like the ones they used to have way back when for CNIB. <laughs> they were really boring. The ones on but... the ones that used to come in the big brown cassette boxes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember those well. Mm-hmm. I listened to the Thorn Birds, which is forty nine cassettes. Yes. And they put you to sleep, right? Yes. It's such a good book. Oh, I, so, I remember those days, yeah. Yeah, but I, I spend a lot of time with the Brandon Library has really good audiobooks available. So I spend a lot of time reading audiobooks and um, do a lot of that kind of stuff that it might require a little vision, but if you have imagination, right? So, mm-hmm. Sandy, what advice would you pass on to somebody that might be going through what you're kind of going through or somebody who recently, you know, recently has, you know, found out that they're going to be losing their vision uh, within right. the next year to year and a half? What advice would you pass on? Because you've done a lot with what you have, and I am mm-hmm. guarantee you've got some positive advice for somebody. I think the biggest thing is that people need to think about asking for help and not being embarrassed because it's not a they're doing that they lose their vision it's not something to be embarrassed about it's something to ask for help and say like this is what i need and this is why i need it and i listened to the broadcast that you and kathy had where she said when you guys started dating where she said tell me what you need me to do for you yeah now she just tells me what to do not naturally because (laughs) then i'm exchange after 20 some years of marriage right that's right yeah um like my husband and I were in Paris and we went to go see the Moulin Rouge show. And he said to me, go, go get your coat and stuff taken in. And he went to the maitre d' and says, my wife is visually impaired. Can you give us a spot further up ahead? And the guy said, absolutely, no problem. Like, I didn't even have to ask him. He knew that in, if I, for me to see the show, mm-hmm. I needed to be a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. And he automatically did that. So when you surround yourself with people that understand some of the limitations that you have, um, some, of, some, of, some of the things that you need, and, and they're automatically giving them to you without saying, well, what can I do for you? What do you need? Where they can actually anticipate, oh, we went into Le Havre and we looked out on the ocean to see all those boats. I said, no. I grabbed my camera because he had bought me a really good camera. I took a shitload of pictures. And when I got back to the hotel, I printed them out on the computer and I could see the boats. Right because I couldn't see them in a the distance, but ask for help and ask and tell people what you need, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To me, and then enlist things like CNIB and some of the other system for people to learn how to, to, to do some of the stuff that they can't do it on their own anymore. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to fall on your face. So what, right? So <laughs> You just pick yourself up, dust yourself off and move on, right? 
Pretty much, yeah. And I, I remember, still so remember that when I walked up to that lady at the skating rink and I started talking to her and I looked at her and says, you know, we don't even know each other. She says, no, we don't. But that was a really nice conversation. I said, well, it was so nice to meet you. <laughs> that's how I roll, right? So dust yourself off and just ask for help and, and tell people what you need because visual, visual impairment is not something that people can see on you. They mm -hmm. look at you as if you don't look blind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, how are you supposed to look when you're blind, right? So, <laughs> but because you have a wheelchair, they can tell from miles away that you need help. But right. if you're visually impaired, they can't, right? So Excellent. Sandy, thanks very much for telling us your story. You're an amazing lady and uh, such a great outlook, <laughs> such a great outlook on life. Make sure awesome. that make sure you keep a positive outlook and I don't think that's gonna be hard for you. Life's too short and I've got thirty years left to see grandchildren grow up, so Excellent. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for listening to Blind Like Me. If you have a comment or suggestion about future casts, drop us an email to blindlikeme at outlook.com. Blind Like Me is a timblackonair.com production.